Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com. Woodhill Community Center. Have a hand in the heart of the city. Support their mission with your donations at WoodhillCommunityCenter.org. Toyota in Nicholasville Superstore. Online consultants are standing by right now to help you find your next Toyota. Visit ToyotaOnNicholasville.com. Lexus of Lexington, home of the best-selling Lexus IS. Find yours today at LexusOfLexington.com. Did you know that half of America is single? Hollywood has never produced anything like this before. The Dating Project, a groundbreaking documentary that follows five single people, ages 18 to 40, as they search for authentic and meaningful relationships. There is no script. There are no actors. These are real people trying to find love and happiness in an age of swiping left or right. From Empower Pictures, Paulist Productions, Family Theater Productions, and Pure Flix. You can now own The Dating Project. Save the date by visiting thedatingprojectmovie.com and go a step further and help others in your circle date differently by partnering with Ascension Press. Visit shop.ascensionpress.com to acquire the companion study guide. The Dating Project movie is now available on DVD and digital download on Amazon, iTunes, and Walmart. Please visit thedatingprojectmovie.com for details. Welcome to the InScape podcast. The mission of InScape and our podcast is to help people discover, embrace, and live to the full their unique personal vocations. In this episode, I talk with Chris Lowney, best-selling author of several books, including Everyone Leads, How to Revitalize the Catholic Church. In this book, Chris argues that the Catholic Church is in its worst crisis in 500 years, with massive declines in participation, especially among young people. The way to renewal, he says, is for each Catholic to take personal responsibility for leading renewal in their own spheres of influence and according to his or her unique talents. I'm Dr. Joshua Miller. So my guest today is Chris Lowney. Uh, Chris is the best-selling author of several books. He is currently the chair of the Board of Catholic Health Initiatives, one of the nation's largest healthcare and hospital systems with more than 100 hospitals and nearly $16 billion in annual revenues. He is a one-time Jesuit seminarian and later served as a managing director for J.P. Morgan & Company on three continents. Chris is a popular keynote speaker who has lectured in more than two dozen countries on leadership business ethics, decision-making, and other topics. Chris is the author of seven books, and his best-selling heroic leadership has been translated into 11 languages. His latest work is Make Today Matter, 10 Habits for Better Life and World, and we're going to talk about that in a moment here, but we're especially focused today on his book, Everyone Leads, How to Revitalize the Catholic Church. So Chris, thanks so much for being on this edition of InScape's podcast. Thank you, Josh. It's my pleasure. I want to talk uh, about Everyone Leads, as I mentioned, but you've just written Make Today Matter, 10 Habits for a Better Life and World. And I'd like to find out what drew you to write this latest book. Because it's VUCA out there. 
<laughs> which, which I'm sure, which I'm sure means nothing to most people who are listening to us. But you know, the military has this great acronym, uh, VUCA, and they kind of coined it to describe the fog of war that envelops these folks who go into these battle zones. In other words, you get into environments that are volatile, they're uncertain, they're complex, mm-hmm. they're ambiguous. And to me, it's really a great metaphor for the world in which all of us are trying to live, you know. And what I often find with folks is we kind of know what sort of people we want to be. You know, you might not have a clearly articulated one sentence life mission statement. But, you know, I mean, people sort of know I want to be a good person. I want to make a positive contribution. I want to mm-hmm. leave the world better. So the problem is not knowing who we want to be. The problem is staying on track every day mm. amidst all this chaos, amidst the VUCA, amidst social media streams, distraction texts, music, all this kind of stuff. Mm. So in a way, the book tries to articulate a few habits, a few ways of thinking and being that might help people to stay on track and live for their highest aspirations amidst this crazy world we're all mm. trying to navigate. You emphasize that we ought to seize each day as a unique opportunity and see each day as a gift. So what are some key habits that we can take on and employ and develop in order to achieve that end? Yeah. So let let me talk about a couple of habits that go to that. I mean, one, be more grateful, Mm -hmm. you know, and everybody who's in a spiritual tradition, no matter what tradition that is, appreciates that this is a core mandate of, of every great spiritual tradition, you know, to be grateful for our giftedness and so on. But of course, the problem is that, you know, you forget all that. Like I spill my coffee on my pants and the way to work and my phone battery dies. And it's just really easy to fall off a place of gratitude and into a place of irritation. You know, so one habit I try to invite people to cultivate is to be more grateful people. The book talks about that. And I'll mention one other habit, you know, you articulate or repeat what I say about seizing each day as an opportunity. And, and I use the image of bringing big heart. And, you know, basically what I point out is at peak moments or at things we're really devoted to, we really bring big heart. In other words, we put our all into it. I had a, a buddy who used to coach high school track and, and often before a race, he would get into one of his runners' faces and say, you're going to run this race like it's the last race of your life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a motivational gimmick, of course, but it was sincere. We just never know what life will bring in the future. And two, that is how we want to live and ought to live. In other words, that we bring everything we have to the opportunities life gives us. And so that other habit that I'm chatting about now, this idea of bringing big heart is really saying, look, let's try to tune our heads a little bit so that we're not spending, we're not drifting through days with the sense of, oh, it's just another ordinary day, or we're not living our days in regrets for what happened five years ago. We're not living our days looking forward to some big opportunity that may come our way in 10 years. You know, today's the day you have, mm-hmm. and, you know, you might as well bring big heart today. Mm. So, you know, the book is a collection of habits like those two I just mentioned that hopefully will help people in aggregate to make every everyday matter. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing some connections between that message to bring big heart and several of the things that you mention in this book, Everyone Leads, How to Revitalize the Catholic Church. So I'd like to talk about that in a moment. But in that book, Everyone Leads, How to Revitalize the Catholic Church, you speak about the need for each person to take his own baptismal, his or her own baptismal calling much more seriously And you have clearly done that in a variety of ways that we just discussed in the introduction. But I'd like you to share a bit about your own unique calling. 
Tell us how you define that, and then some of the key things that you did to discern that unique calling. If you look at my life, at one level, you could say, oh man, you really have had a lot of trouble figuring out what you're supposed to be doing. You know, like in other words, I was a Jesuit seminarian for a few years. And then J.P. Morgan, right? (laughs) Then I ended up working in an investment bank for a number of years. I left there. I started writing books. I've been doing different things. And I think that, you know, we sometimes have this old-fashioned idea of calling. You know, for example, I go sometimes to John Calvin. I think he was big in this, that each person has their appointed station in life, their calling to which, you know, God brings them. And, you know, over the centuries, we kind of have this idea of uh, that's sort of solidified in the way we think about calling that, oh, yeah, I'm going to find the thing that I'm supposed to be doing for the rest of my life. And I really don't think that's the way it works for most people. If we get married or become a priest or so on, you know, there are some callings that that will last for life. But in terms of like jobs, I don't really think the way of the modern world is such that there's this magical one thing out there that's for me. And until I find that and do it for the rest of my life, I've missed the boat. I don't really feel it that way. The way I talk about it personally is, you know, calling is less about the specific thing we do and maybe more about the kind of person we're supposed to be, mm-hmm. whatever we end up doing. You know, and mm-hmm. if we kind of can hang on to the who I'm supposed to be part, then that will be a sort of a compass that leads us through the different tasks. Let's talk a bit about your role as a writer of books that have been hailed by many folks as making an invaluable contribution to the church today. So when you think about who you are called to be by Christ Jesus in this time in history, what led you to be a writer for us? When I first started writing, I couldn't say I felt a palpable, deep sense of calling, you know, and and I would kind of want to lay that out there, you know, because I felt like, oh, this would be a good thing for me to do. And it kind of fits with who I think I am. And I think I could have something to say that's the value, you know, all those kinds of feelings that are aligned with calling. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't say like I sat down and had this lightning boltish, this is what God wants me to do thing, you know. And I say that because I think that's the way life is for many of us, maybe the majority of us, you know, and we sometimes are waiting around for the lightning bolt. But, you know, we have to pay attention to more subtle movements in terms of what we're drawn to and what seems consistent mm-hmm. with what we believe and, and what opportunities then come into our way. I am a practicing Catholic myself and very committed to the Catholic Church. It's given me an incredible amount in my life. You know, and frankly, I've been uh, everything, discouraged, disturbed, sometimes angered, <laughs> you know, at what's, you know, happened in recent decades. Uh, you know, I, I cite and everyone leads a number of, I don't know, what I would say signs of crisis, you know, and I won't go through all of them in detail, but just to allude to a couple. Nowadays, the research tells us that teenagers who identify as Catholics as many as half of them don't identify as Catholics within a decade. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a horrific statistic, you know. There's other research, for example, that shows that of adults who change religion, Catholicism manages to attract one person for every six who leave. I mean, that is a horrific statistic. So there was a part of me that felt, you know, I want to be in this discussion, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I want to, you know, whether it's drawing from business life or from the first century acts of the apostles or from our spiritual traditions, I want to try to get in the game 
of challenging us, inviting us, inspiring us to think in a very deep way about this moment in history and what those of us who are Catholics or, you know, of course, many of these things are afflicting other denominations as well. You know, what those of us who are religious people, what does it meaning say to us in terms of our sense of calling and our job, our obligations and so on? So you've laid out some of what you talk about in the book as elements of, of, a, of a crisis. Uh, in fact, you call it the worst crisis in, in five centuries that, that the Catholic Church is facing right now. And a critical piece of addressing that crisis is this fundamental concept of everyone leading. Would you unpack what that means? Yes, and let me talk about it in a human way, so to speak, sure. non-religious related, but then also in a deeply Catholic and, and religious way. So first in a human way, what I mean is this, that something that every great organization has figured out is that we live in a very difficult, complex time that's bringing deep, profound challenges to all kinds of organizations, whether they're companies that are being disrupted by the internet or religious organizations like the Catholic Church. And one of the things that organizations have figured out is, you know, when we have a multiplying set of challenges, we can't count on four people in a corner office to figure them all out, confront them all, deal with them, show leadership about them. We need to multiply the talent that's in the game. In other words, we need more people to bring their gifts and talents to help us tackle this broad way of challenges. And to me, the Catholic Church has exactly the same situation. In fact, in many ways worse because we always stereotypically have thought of, you know, our priests and our women religious, for example, as our quote unquote leadership cohort. And those populations are diminishing in many countries of the world, certainly in the United States, even diminishing rapidly. So speaking on a human level, this equation of multiplying challenges and declining leadership cohort, that is never going to work. So that's one way I make the case. Mm -hmm. But now let me quickly turn to the religious way of making the case, which would be to say this, that when you hear the word leadership, we tend to think about, oh, that means the pope or that means bishops. And of course, they have a unique authority within our church. And in no way am I trying to dismantle that or say that's not correct. But what I am saying is that if you look at what we say, our texts, we don't use the word leadership. But for example, the catechism tells us that in baptism, people are incorporated into Christ's body as priest, prophet, and king. If those aren't leadership-sounding words, <laughs> I don't know what words are. Right, you it's know? a clarion call or, to leadership given to each one. Absolutely. Or Pope Benedict, in one famous talk, said, speaking to people in parish work in Rome, said that we have to have a shift in mindset where lay people don't see themselves primarily as like collaborators, helpers. Rather, they see themselves as co-responsible. That's his word. Mm for the being and action of the church. And that is a very powerful concept. You know, just think of what it means to be responsible for a family or for a small business, you mm -hmm. know. So I feel like fundamental in our calling, in our faith, is this idea that everybody, one way or another, has to step up and show some leadership. Mm -hmm. Or you might say, find ways to use their talents and gifts, in this case, to revitalize mm -hmm. the church. You speak about how as a church, we're just far, far from doing this, and that our shepherds and pastors need to be much more proactive in calling and empowering Catholics to wield their gifts in every imaginable way. What is your advice to Catholic formal leaders and also more informal lay leaders? What's your advice to unleashing the gifts of every member? 
Well, you know, I have a few thoughts, but here would be a couple. I mean, one is I feel like priests, parish council people, whatever, pastors, when I say priests, I mean, have to be much more explicit and formal in calling the congregation mm-hmm. to that role. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you know, there's interesting research done by the Center for uh, Applied Research in the Apostolate that shows that less than half in some cases, a good deal less than half of people who attend church feel invited or called to participate in ministry. Only about a third would even know how to do it. I mean, those are horrible statistics. And I think sometimes, you know, we take for granted that maybe people in the pews kind of get it. So one thing I think is we have to be more explicit, you know, and I would say either parish councils, pastors, you know, to say, look, we need your gifts and talents. And this is not a matter of like a hobby that you might like to do, but this is fundamentally part of the calling. So this to me is one thing that we really need to be much more explicit about. And then also we have to help people to understand what that could look like and make room for it. Hmm. Because I could tell you that the first time we do say it, what's going to go through people's minds is, oh, well, you know, wait a minute. When I look around here, we seem to have enough ushers and lectors. So I don't get what he's talking about. So you're not That's saying that necessarily. Say. You're not saying, well, we need Absolutely more electors not. and ushers and perhaps people in parish council. Exactly. I mean, maybe we need that. But mm-hmm. what I'm mostly saying is we need to flex our imagination and array our gifts and talents against this big multiplicity of challenges we have. Mm-hmm. So, for example, sitting out there, you know, maybe there's somebody who is very happy to call up members of the congregation who are lapsed and no longer show up. You know, they have a kind of a gift of extroversion or a social gift that I don't have. You know, okay, we need that. Maybe there are people who are willing to stand in the back of the church and welcome every day, every Sunday, you know, welcome folks in to make sure folks feel we're a a welcoming place. Mm -hmm. Maybe there are more folks who are willing to help us be part of an all-court press to figure out how in the world are we going to engage teenagers and young adults that nobody has a clue about. Mm -hmm. There are people out there who are good in finances. We're finance constrained everywhere. There are people who know how to build websites, you know, or help us figure out how to use social media, we're really very, very far behind, you know. Mm -hmm. One of the examples Um, that you give is a Catholic hackathon that Father Emmanuel Taylor led. So he's a pastor at St. Dominic's uh, St. San Francisco Parish and drew on some of the gifts of his members through this Catholic hackathon. Tell us a bit about that and how it's an example of what you're talking about here. Yes, and I I do think that's a great story, and I use it not in the sense of saying that every parish can or should do exactly that, Mm -hmm. but rather as an example of we need to stretch our imagination. So, you know, he was in one of the, you know, most big cities, like they have, if young adults do go to church, there's often like the one church, the city that they do go to, you know. And he's there in San Francisco, and San Francisco being what it is, a lot of the people who go are tech people, you know, work in Google and and so on. So he knew he had this talent there, but he didn't know how to use it. And so he asked the kids, I mean, they're kids to me, they're young adults, but uh, I'll say kids. And one of them suggested, oh, you know, have a hackathon. All you have to do is show up with pizza, you know, invite (laughs) tech people to come. And, you know, and sure enough, five or six dozen show up and they spend a day and a half from a standing start creating little apps. 
you know, like to uh, give greater access to Bible verses or even, you know, had an app to allow people to use uh, like Starbucks and so on, you know, to use their cell phones to make donations in church. Mm -hmm. And my first point in making the example is it gives us a beautiful template of let's try something. Let's be very entrepreneurial. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but let's have the spirit of trying something. I mean, these first century apostles kind of fanned out across the known world and tried things. So that kind of spirit. And second, this imagination to say, look, there's all this talent sitting out there and let's figure out how to use it. Mm -hmm. You speak in the book about culture and how culture change is difficult. And I think in a later chapter, you you quote this famous saying that, that, that culture eats strategy for lunch. So we have to deal with this problem of Catholics not being called out to be who they're created to be uh, by addressing culture. So what are some key steps that you recommend for changing the culture of the church so that everyone can truly lead? Yeah. So you're right. I use this phrase, to me, culture is strategy for lunch. And let me use a a specific example. I hope people won't take this as in a in a negative way. It's it's kind of not how I intend it. But to me, the new evangelization is was a great idea. But I think in terms of on the ground, it has flopped in many, many cases. And I know I'm not supposed to say that kind of thing, but I'm sorry, I just said it. And to me... <laughs> well, I agree with you. Okay, thank you. So we're okay. Everybody will throw stones at both of us, <laughs> not just me. So to, to make the analogy, to me, that was kind of a plan or a strategy, but we didn't have the culture to make it work. Mm-hmm. And culture is really hard to change. We tend not to focus on it. So that's why a lot of the book is about, gee, let's try to get a culture that can pull things off again. So for example, we already spoke about this idea of a culture where we have this idea of everyone leads, that we're not supposed to sit around just and wait for the Pope and the Pope will get young people to come to my parish. I'm sorry, he's not, no matter what the heck he says. Mm -hmm. He might open the door so that they feel more inclined, but then we have to do something. And second, you know, a culture, we already spoke about this a little bit, Josh, that's much more entrepreneurial. In other words, we tend to be very bureaucratic, very risk averse, very afraid to try things. They might fail, waiting for, you know, a hundred different approvals. And I just don't think that's going to get us there. You know, one of my favorite prophets is Wayne Gretzky, the Canadian hockey player. And one of his lines is, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's another cultural change. Could we become people who are more willing to take shots and tolerate failure? Mm -hmm. And then a third aspect of culture I'll talk about is be more accountable. When I say accountable, in a way, I'm touching on the discussion we just had about stewardship. Like, in other words, where we feel, yeah, you know, I'm somehow a little responsible for this. I have to hold myself accountable. Is it going well or is it going poorly? I have to have, like, facts and data. Like, when people come to this parish, is a conversion process happening over time? You know, mm-hmm. like we say that people are supposed to grow closer to Jesus. Well, is that happening? These are new kinds of ways of operating, and they don't happen overnight. But if we said to ourselves, look, this is where we need to go and began to take the small steps over time, we would change our culture. Mm -hmm. I'd like to ask you to just give us a final word. It's difficult to summarize one whole book in just a couple of lines, but what would be a takeaway that you'd like the InScape listeners to receive from you? You know, the book ultimately, to me, is intended to catalyze action, you know, and you, you know, earlier quoted that I use this 
idea of we're suffering our worst crisis in five centuries. And mm-hmm. I intended that to be provocative. And if people want to dispute that or argue with that, yeah, that would be great, you know. But to me, the only bad outcome would be to ignore it. You know, like in other words, if people said, no, 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 you're wrong, Chris, this is why. And let me tell you what we're doing, what we got underway, all these good things that are happening. Fine. Or if people say, holy cow, this guy is right. This is a major wake up call. We got to do something. That's Mm -hmm. a good outcome. Mm -hmm. What I care about ultimately is not that people read a book and say, oh, Chris is right or Chris is smart or Chris is an idiot and then put the book away. And that's the end of the story. Mm -hmm. Rather. What I'm really hoping for is that people will somehow engage and be spurred into action. And, you know, the book lays out a strategy, a playbook. And I don't care if people disagree with my strategy or playbook, as long as we're trying to be very strategic and we really are all showing leadership in our respective lives and in our respective Mm -hmm. uh, parish and other communities. Great. Well, thank you again for the book and looking forward to other work that comes from your mind and pen in the the coming months and years. So thank you. Thanks so much. And thanks for the chance to speak with your uh, listeners. I enjoyed the whole thing. There is massive potential for renewing the Catholic Church and by extension, the world in which the Church is called to sanctify. This will not happen if we continue in a clericalist mindset, assuming that our only leaders are our bishops and priests. Of course, we must embrace their formal leadership, but alongside it is the sorely neglected reality that the personal vocation of each of the baptized includes the mission to be priest, prophet, and king, all roles of leadership. Authentic renewal, as Lowney presents so well, depends upon each one awakening to this leadership. Thank you for listening to this InScape podcast. To learn more about InScape and the many resources we provide to help people discover embrace and live to the full their unique personal vocations, please go to InscapeVocations.com. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com for faith, fellowship, and love.